0: Well, I think think you said in the last podcast that didn't record, Jackie. (laughs) is that, uh, you know, you said something about, do I account for this in the therapy room? Yeah. And the answer is yes, so I'll say it again, yes. Yeah. Because it's not, as you're quite right, it's not just about rejection and being triggered back to the past, but it's also about perceived loss or loss in our histories. And it would be very odd not to account for the significance of the day
1: yeah because I, th- I think what i asked was would you bring it up or you know make a comment on that it's coming up it, the, the, it's weird because sometimes i think that there's a fine line in therapy on how we direct it whether whether we're going to trigger the client by saying something whether it's our job to to bring it up in therapy or just wait and see how it goes So the conversation we had, you know, was me asking you, would you mention it? And you said a definite yes.
0: Definitely. Yeah. We demystify what goes on
1: behind the therapy room door. Join us on this voyage of discovery and co-creative conversations. This is The Therapy Show, Behind Closed Doors podcast, with Bob Cook and Jackie Jones. Welcome back to episode 88 of the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors with the wonderful Mr Bob Cook and myself Jackie Jones and today we're going to be talking about relationship breakdowns inside and outside the therapy room because it's coming up to Valentine's <coughs> Day. That's
0: a good uh, a good day to have this conversation then.
1: It is, it is. Um, we've actually recorded this once before only I forgot to push the record button so we're having to do it again. <laughs> So I doubt we'll be talking about the same things as what we did last time, but I'm sure it will be just as good.
0: <laughs>
1: I thought at I'd heat. come clean with the listeners, Bob. We're not perfect. We don't get it right all the
0: time. At least, Jackie, at least. Yeah. OK, let's let's hit the button then. Oh, we already hit the button, so it'll be OK.
1: Yes, it's already <laughs> hit. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs>
0: No, we've got it recorded. Okay. You know, it's an interesting subject area because mostly when you see people in therapy, unless it's it's couples therapy, you're really dealing mainly with the relationship with themselves. Yeah. Because unless the relationship with themselves is healthy, then the external one is likely to break down.
1: To mirror that, yeah, definitely. So is it possible then for people to have a relationship breakdown with themselves?
0: (laughs) I think most people come to therapy. That's exactly why they come to therapy.
1: Okay. I've never thought of it that way.
0: (laughs) They usually come to therapy because (laughs) because the relationship with themselves has turned sour or they've forgotten themselves or they've cut part of themselves off or they're fragmented. they've got a healthy relationship with themselves they probably won't come to therapy yeah because they'll be feeling okay about themselves and they'll pick relationships which are okay
1: yeah and over over the last few months i've been doing quite a lot of stuff um on my own things about self-care and self-love and you know self-growth self-awareness self self, uh, lots of things about the self and people feel really uncomfortable with anything that's got the word self in it somewhere. It, it feels selfish to people when I talk about self-care and self-love and self-worth and all those things.
0: Do you mean it's like self-indulgent? Yeah. So they feel self-indulgent?
1: Yeah. And like, if, you know, if we talk about self-love, it's like blowing your own trumpet and thinking that you're wonderful and everything. And it's, it's not the case.
0: Where do you think those messages come from, then?
1: Well, we all know where they come from, Bob. <laughs>
0: yeah, leading up that road.
1: Well, that's it. It's it's scripted stuff. <laughs> it's from our background. Everything comes from our past. And, you know, the, the things that we hear when we're growing up, we kind of absorb as our own beliefs. You know, and, and what I've been doing with myself as well as other people is to, you know, challenge those thoughts. That Are these my beliefs or are there some that have kind of been imprinted on me or that I've, you know, just adopted as mine as I've been growing up. And that's, it's quite a journey to go on.
0: It's quite a journey. Now, I just came up to do this podcast and my wife said, where are you going? And I said, do these podcasts. And she said, oh, you're obsessed with uh, reality TV. So I said, (laughs) reality TV. Oh, you've just been watching Love Island, Australia you've got love island england love island goodness knows what yeah You're quite right i do get obsessed with um reality tv programs because i think i'm always so interested in the psychology of all these processes but anyway so if we take love island as just one of the many we could pick yeah um, you have these characters in in in, in villas and they, they they they're supposed to get on with each other and you know, sort of uh hook up with each other and the 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 couple which <laughs> lasts the longest basically gets the fifty thousand dollars. But it's not really that's the advertisement afterwards which makes them really. But I, I like watching it and um it's interesting is how quickly you can see uh the the people on there that don't have very good relationships with themselves. Yeah. Because they're always having to face possible rejection on that show and many other shows like that. So relationship with yourself is very, very important. I'm not surprised to hear what you've just said, that people give themselves a hard time if they actually concentrate on themselves. Because as you've just said, the messages like, oh, that's big headed or you're selfish. Yeah. I think not only comes from parents, by the way. But it often is a cultural message. Yeah. Our culture sort of is that way, isn't it?
1: That's it. What well, You know, what's socially acceptable and things like that. Yeah, definitely.
0: I think it's worth persevering to have a good relationship with yourself.
1: I think so. And I think, you know... Everything comes from inside us, but a lot of us, me included, you know, we look for external validation to prove our worth, which if we don't get it or if it suddenly disappears, then that has a, that can have quite a big impact on us. Whereas, you know, if we know it truly inside that we are, we are worth the good things and we are, you know, worthy of being happy and fulfilled in our life, then what's happening externally doesn't have as much of an impact on us.
0: That's right and valentine's day of course is a perfect one for maybe feeling rejected
1: yeah yeah and i brilliant. can remember feeling really rejected as a teenager because i didn't get any valentines cards and probably about i think i was about 13 or 14 sitting on the back step of you know my house at home thinking nobody's ever going to love me and i'll never get married and i was like 13 or 14
0: mm-hmm. so we seek internal we seek external validation It's so important to us yeah and we seek it even more if we don't get it from a significant others that we desire it from our first yeah. object is usually our mother and father anyway so if we don't get the validation we need from them we uh we've not only feel rejected but we feel unhappy
1: yeah so, you know, this time of year with relationships, it's it can be quite, you know, impactful for a lot of people if, you know, th- everything's changed with COVID and, you know, living crisis and everything that we're going through at the moment. But, you know, anniversaries or certain dates, we touched on this on the recording that I didn't record, <laughs> about, you know, Christmas and New Year, and you were quoting some statistics about, you know, people taking their own lives at certain times of the year and how increased they are.
0: Yes, if you go into A&E on Christmas Day, New Year's Day, um, the statistics of uh, people who self-harm or, unfortunately, at its extreme, uh, take their own lives are very high. Yeah. I don't know what it is on Valentine's Day, but these... These days where we're supposed to, you know, these days are so significant for people, um, are often the days when people feel the most lonely or they feel alone or they yeah. feel triggered back to difficult times in their own history.
1: Just yeah. like you
0: just said there. So we I mean, millions of people um, who get triggered by Valentine's Day who are remembering the aloneness of those days and the rejection of those days, and often have a difficult day.
1: Yeah. Or well, people that aren't around anymore, maybe significant others that are no longer with us. It can, you know, it can be a time of grief and sadness and and all sorts of things.
0: Well, I think I think you said in the last podcast that didn't record, Jackie, <laughs> is that uh, you know you said something about do I account for this in the therapy room? Yeah. And the answer is yes. So I'll say it again yes. Yeah.
1: Because
0: it's not, as you're quite right, it's not just about rejection and being triggered back to the past, but it's also about perceived loss or loss in our histories. And it would be very hard not to account for the significance of the day.
1: Yeah. Because I think what I asked was would you bring it up or, you know, make a comment on that it's coming up it's the, the, it's weird because sometimes i think that there's a fine line in therapy on how we direct it whether whether we're going to trigger the client by saying something whether it's our job to to bring it up in therapy or just wait and see how it goes so the conversation we had you know was me asking you would you mention it and you said a definite yes
0: definitely yeah absolutely i would um, because most people have reactions to things like Christmas um, Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve, birthdays, anniversaries, yeah, Valentine's Day, all those those significant days uh, need to accounting for.
1: Yeah. And then the, the client has a choice whether they want to talk about that at the time or say, no, I'm absolutely fine with it and continue. But like you said, at least you've... You've brought the subject up and you've allowed them the space to talk about it if that's what they want to do.
0: Yeah. And just imagine, Jackie, if you're seeing a couple on Valentine's Day. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be odd if you didn't mention it, wouldn't it?
1: It would. It would really. Yeah. And it's a good basis to bring like you saying about, you know, when we talk about relationship breakdown, you know, that that's there's a whole heap load of things that come under that umbrella whether that's children or partners or parents or you know work relationship or whatever it is it's not necessarily you know a, a husband and wife or or partners in a loving sense that way
0: absolutely and i think that that's a very important thing to bear in mind that when we talk about relationship breakdowns it could be all the all the uh examples you gave just there yeah and more
1: yeah so what what do we do about well a, a really good example of couples in in the therapy room that are going through because I'm not sure whether we we spoke about this last time or or in previous podcasts but one of the things I was always conscious of when we're, when working with couples was that there isn't any guarantee that it's going to end the way that they think it will end going to couple therapy that there's always a chance it can be talking them through how to end a relationship appropriately rather than fixing a relationship, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. And always with couples, I get a contract for whatever it's about. So when they come in, I check about, is this about staying together? Is this about breaking up? Is this about what What have you come for? Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's very important. So this isn't about the therapist taking any responsibility to keep them together, for example. So in the contract, usually most people say, uh, I want to explore you know, the communication difficulties or whether I want to be with this person or whether I don't. And I will always say, well, we'll go where we go. This isn't about then staying together necessarily. I hear there might be a desire by one of you to stay together. So this therapy is to explore where this relationship goes to next. Yeah. And if you eventually both of you decide that it's about separating, I will, of course, support that. And you can have an individual couples therapy to achieve that task. But it certainly isn't the responsibility of the therapist to think they've got to keep them together for some unknown reason. Yeah. And
1: relationships are, you know, they kind of mirror us in a way. You know, I I always say, and I'm sure I got it from my training, that, you know, it's a connection between two people and and we're only 50% responsible for that, you know, interaction, if you will. The other person is 50% responsible. So in relationships, you can't give 100% because the other person has to give something back to you. And often the communication between two people is the issue with relationship breakdowns.
0: Oh, it nearly always is. And one of the things about couples work is um invariably they'll go into a process of making you a parent. And they want the parent to resort to um somehow wave a magic wand and make yeah. everything okay or take the pain away or Resolve things for them, and of course, you can never be that person. No, for them.
1: No. And it's a painful process working through it, you know, in in couples therapy because it, it's a safe space where people can talk, and you're kind of a mediator in that respect. That they, they each get time, you know, to listen and to speak and and those sort of things. But often they say things that they've never said to each other before they've never felt able to or had the opportunity to?
0: I think couples therapy is very powerful. Yeah. And I did quite a lot of it. Um, And I was very honoured to be part of the process. Um, And, you know, I I think it needs a specialist training, actually, couples therapy. I mean, I know a lot of therapists who, do individual therapy and then because of that they feel they can do couples therapy and to a certain extent that may be true but I think there's I think it's really important to have actually specialist training for couples therapy because it's just it's a different art and a different process
1: I found it a completely different entity than what you know individual therapy is when I first started, I think we we did training on our four year training to kind of cover that. But even that, I didn't feel like I was, you know, properly equipped for it when I first started doing it. Even no. my chair position. Do you know what I mean? I didn't want to be skewed more towards one member of the couple than the other. So to try and make sure that I was central to both of them and you know that they each had equal time to talk and they it's it's a minefield when there's three of you in there
0: yeah yeah and i think i think well i always get amazed when in supervision um the therapist says well i've started to take on a couple and i know very well they've not had any training in the process oh. so i used to say have you had a bit of training? Then you've been on a training course to enable you to do that. Oh no, it's the same as individual therapy, isn't it? Really? And of course, we know it isn't. No,
1: completely different. Yeah.
0: And I, I, I think it's. Uh, I think what you said about being neutral is very important. Uh, yeah. But I also think that there's a lot to learn, which is different from when you train people to be individual therapists.
1: Yeah. Because for me, it it was exhausting. It it was very taxing because you're not only looking at the individual's body language and you know what's going on there, but you're also looking at the way that they interact with each other. They, there's like so much going on in such a short space of time. It's it's exhausting.
0: It is exhausting, and um, it's also very rewarding. I yeah. mean. Uh, I preferred individual group work, being a group therapist or individual therapist, I think, before couples work. I don't mean I didn't enjoy couples work, or it wasn't something I um, thought was for me. However, um, I preferred individual being a group therapist, I think. Um, but going back to my point before, um, they definitely need to have some training, I think
1: yeah because i'm in awe of anybody that does group therapy that's something that i've never i've never done um yeah that fills me with fear and dread because you know my my thought process is that you're constantly putting out fires you know and if i get overwhelmed sometimes with couples then i have no idea what i'd be like in a, a group situation but relationship breakdowns happen within a group situation as well
0: uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, um, absolutely. Of course, they do. Having said that, in a group situation, I didn't take um, married couples on or I didn't take partnerships on. Um, I'd send them to one of my other groups or somewhere else. Yeah. So. I didn't have the situation you were talking about. What
1: about if there's conflict within the group? Pardon? What if there's conflict within the group between people?
0: Oh, that's a different thing. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, people having conflict, of course I work on what that is all about, but I wouldn't take a romantic couple into a group or a married couple into a group. No. That doesn't mean people listening here, here may have a different view on that. I'm just saying that was my a rule for me.
1: Yeah, and I think it's a sensible rule.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but it's, it's interesting because we're going back to the difference between individual and, you know, couples therapy, but you are quite right. I would be dealing with conflicts and breakups and friendships and things in groups, and we'd be talking about, say... Uh, or I'll be supporting someone uh, through a possible uh, breakup externally. Yeah. But uh, getting back to where we started, I do think the most important relationship is with yourself. I wrote a, uh, I thought it was a good, one of my best articles. I didn't, um, did it go to Cosmopolitan? It was years ago, 15, or 16, 17 years ago. No, longer. Gosh, quarter of a century ago that's a long time but it was called um, Your Most Important Relationship and it was all about you know being compassionate with yourself and yeah, uh, love yourself because from that position uh, you're more likely to pick relationships which are honouring and loving to you
1: yeah and like you know we touched on it at the beginning I were you know relationships are modeled to us i suppose when we're growing up and you know having a fear of abandonment if our, you know upbringing wasn't that good um and things like that we will take that into relationships that we have with people you know you might find that one person in that relationship is quite needy or clingy and doesn't want the other person to ever go out on their own or do anything in you know independent of them, and things like that. So you know, working on yourself, your self esteem, your self worth, and all those sort of things, not only helps you but it also helps massively in relationships.
0: Yes, and I, I was interested to hear, though it wasn't surprising for me to hear. That the people that you've worked with in this area uh found it challenging.
1: Really challenging.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. It's I th- I think it's more the fact that it's it's looking inwardly and doing all that sort of work rather than outwardly and getting validation for it. You know, we live in a social media environment now, so the amount of likes and clicks you get on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or whatever, you know, strokes your ego and and gives you a sense of, you know, recognition and everything. But take that away, and it's really difficult for people to to know their true self-worth without it being told to them by somebody else or something else.
0: That's right. That's right. And I think one of the most important things from childhood is to build up what I would call a stroke bank. Yeah. Logically. So a stroke bank for people listening, it's a transaction analysis term again. A stroke is a negative or positive um, recognition. So I'm talking about positive stroke bank here so that under stress we can talk to ourselves positively yeah yeah build that up um we can be pretty sort of um empty
1: yeah absolutely
0: <clears throat> and we've got nothing to say to ourselves yeah positive
1: yeah and when things do happen like relationship breakdown we've got nothing to fall back on <laughs> you know which it, it is you know it's catastrophic for some people when a relationship breaks down you know one they don't know how to be a single person and independent on their own but it just reinforces all the negative things that they think about themselves and it, it you know it can be really
0: difficult that's right so i teach people or work towards people being interdependent yeah rather, rather than de- dependent or symbiotically enmeshed yeah so it helps if they've got a good relationship with themselves so they can focus on, you know, being interdependent rather yeah. than dependent or symbiotic.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: But they need to be able to have a positive narrative to themselves and they need to be able to treat themselves compassionately, I think, for that to happen.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think that's that's a really good point is, you know, often we find it a lot easier to be compassionate towards other people whereas not necessarily with ourselves you know if we make a mistake or we get it wrong or or anything like that we're usually really good at beating ourselves up as opposed to you know yeah being compassionate and if we knew a better way we would have done it a different way I'm sure.
0: Absolutely and another thing to look for when we're in this area is loss and the Loss and abandonment and neglect in childhood.
1: Yeah,
0: I was just thinking of my daughter who was very attached to a um, her a young friend, uh, and very early on, I think, me talking about six or seven, this year, this friend that she'd attached to left and left the country and had to because their parents were from another place, and Jessica got so upset. Yeah. And uh, I think that if we carry those abandonments or we think in some ways we're a fault for people leaving us, we often find it very triggering. If yeah. Someone's going to leave or we think somebody, you know, is going to abandon us when in fact they might not be at all, but we put that situation onto the relationship. Yeah. Then it can become very unhealthy.
1: Yeah. And particularly when we're young you know and, and vulnerable the slightest thing can feel like abandonment you know if your best friend doesn't turn up one day for school because they're ill it's you know it's a big deal to some children particularly if they've only got one or two friends at school
0: <laughs> yeah and only, yeah and if they're only children as well i think they don't um for a very early age they don't learn to do central tasks for, are important for relationships, like sharing, maybe, yeah, Le- learning things that they would bounce off their sisters or brothers or um, other friends. They play out fantasies in their own heads, rather than learning these developmental tasks which are needed for relationships. Yeah. So these are the sort of things, as a therapist, you would go back to when you when you're exploring uh, maybe relationship breakdowns which should be reported by the individual in therapy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Valentine's Day and you being in therapy is is an opportunity to go back and to to revisit some of those things about the past and, you know, how relationships were modelled to us. If, you know, if we've got parents that are constantly arguing and, you know, one of the things I used to say a lot with, with my clients is, often as children growing up we see we see the arguments we see the you know the the shouting and and all those sort of things I'm kind of talking personally now about my parents but I never saw the makeups and the come back togethers so I never knew what happened it was like we have a massive argument we don't speak to each other for ages and then suddenly everything's back to normal so I never really knew the process of talking and communicating and sorting out a problem it just was a problem and then it wasn't a problem
0: yeah these are all things to explore i think in therapy when we look at breakdowns in relationships or relationships staying together another area is celebration
1: yes yeah
0: so for example well let's take valentine's day i don't think he i don't think he's a healthy relationship is about waiting for one year to get validation exactly yeah I think a healthy relationship is when you celebrate each other each day or each week or at least every, I think, I was going to say monthly, but I think I would. I teach my clients to concentrate on celebration in the relationship regularly rather than, you know, having to wait a year, for example, which I think is very extreme.
1: Yeah. I can remember, I'm, you know, my, my daughter and my son-in-law are both in the military. And before they got married, they used to go and see Padre. And they did, I think it was a six or eight week course, if you want to call it that, on relationships. And they used to go through different activities every week, you know, with each other, because, you know, the percentages of of breakdowns of marriages in the military is, is higher than, you know, the general population or whatever. And even now to this day, one of the things they do every single day is to tell each other three good things that have happened that day and three not so good things that have happened that day. They sit down and eat the meal and it's just a conversation between the two of them. And I love that. I think it's an amazing thing to do.
0: Oh, I think it's wonderful.
1: Yeah. Because we we don't you know it takes them five minutes if that to do it. But it's just that time to connect and to regroup and you know get everything out from whatever's gone on during the day and just get back into being a couple again.
0: Wonderful. I mean, as a therapist, we're dealing with uh, relationships all the time. We're dealing with relationships between ourselves. Yeah. We're dealing with relationships that are externally. We deal with fantasy relationships. We yeah. Feel, we deal with relationships that have gone and passed. We deal with the loss of relationships. We deal with the fear of relationships ending. We, feel, we, we deal with the projection people have on uh, other relationships, we yeah. deal with jealousy, we deal with envy, we deal with competitiveness. Yeah, I probably could go on and on for Definitely. a lot longer. In this yeah, but these yeah. are the things we deal with all the time.
1: So, if you are listening and you're a therapist, don't be, you know, afraid to approach <laughs> the subject. It's coming up to Valentine's Day, and talk about relationships.
0: I couldn't agree more.
1: Okie dokie, thank you for that Bob so what we're going to be looking at in the next episode is different methods and approaches in therapy
0: and we must remember to record it this time
1: we must remember, I will (laughs) it's set to automatic Bob oh okay. we haven't got to
0: do that again it will
1: never happen again right, until next time Bob, thank you you're welcome you've been listening to The Therapy Show
0: Behind Closed Doors Podcast We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe, and leave us a review. We'll be back next week, with another episode.